Hey, hey Hi. everyone. Hi, uh, this is Abhay. Uh, again, I am with another guest of mine, Christine. So the concept with this channel again is to let everyone know of the different difficulties that people face. I, I, I bring on new people every time I meet and I try to discuss with them what had happened during the pandemic for, for them, what, how was the journey that they went on and how they got here. And today we have, we have with us Christine. So just a bit of an introduction. Uh, so Christine is currently pursuing her PhD from Stony Brook University in music history. She has a great knowledge of music history, which is, which is amazing to me. She's a great singer and she has done a great deal of work of how, what music is and how does it affect your body. That's what her current research is. She has her bachelor's in arts from, in music from Williams College in Massachusetts. Thank you very much, Christine, for being here with us. Well, I um, actually started doing music as a performer. I got my first singing experience back in fifth grade doing a musical theater production um, with my fellow classmates and just fell in love with singing. And just from there, it was always, I was amazed by how like emotionally moving singing could be for me and for others in the audience and like the experience of going to musical productions and performing in them kind of got me interested in music generally. Um, and I did that all through high school and college. And in college, um, part of my music study was um, also music history, especially there was a focus in that curriculum on Western classical music history. And I, was getting very excited in my history classes about how the historical context of a piece of music fit in to the story of how it became um, like something that was like moving to people. Um, and that's still kind of what I think about today. Great, so you, how music, how the history of that music leads to and fits into the music that is produced, right? That's, that's interesting, that's really great. Yeah. I, I really wanted to know what, if you know, if someone asks you, what's music to you? Um, the, the issue is, it's quite, there's actually quite a complicated um, like theory around what is music and what is sound and what's the difference between those two. So academics go back and forth a lot on the definition of music. But I would say to me, it's, um, if I'm being, if I'm able to be really abstract here, it's like sure. the experience of vibration so sound as vibrations think about waves traveling through the air and it's yeah. not just heard sound also felt throughout the body um and that experience being like perhaps arranged in such a way or experienced in such a way that it has like a particular effect that it's not just totally random um and i think a lot of times um you know, so I get the sense of a thing being music because it like yeah. it moves mm -hmm. me to some emotion or it um, changes how I thought about something or it changes how I thought about the space around me um, through this kind of like use of vibrations, use of sounds. I also feel that your current work that you're doing, your PhD, you know, kind of the research that you're focusing on is how music affects your body and how does mm -hmm. it affect your mind? Can you talk to yeah. me about, a bit about that? Sure. So a lot of the work that I've done has not 
um, been as much in the hard sciences of effects of music on cognition or on the body, even though I think those areas are interesting. Um, a lot of it has been uh, through analysis of my own experiences. So thinking about where do I feel sounds resonating in my body as I'm hearing them? I've done some analyses like that. As a singer, I've also like recorded information about my singing experience with a particular song. Um, for example, I sang um, and it was actually um, a song with music originally by Orlando Di Lasso. Mm -hmm. um, and I sang the different parts and talked about how my experience singing that melody um, related to um, kind of historical values that were around that melody um, in the time when it was first kind of published and stuff like that. And um, so I guess using my own singing experience to talk about how um, in this, in the case of this piece, there were amateur singers who um, like would have been singing at home themselves and like how their experience might have been um, by like embodying that myself. Okay, so maybe, uh, so could you take talking a bit about like, so when you say uh, embody that, you mean uh, how does it, how does it affect certain parts of your body? You mean something like that? Like doing it with your okay. body, like in this case, actually singing the piece, being involved as if I were one of the amateur singers from in that time period, it was the um, 16th century, end of the 16th century. Right. Um, that's the sense in which I'm using it. But like when people say embodiment, it can also yeah. mean the effect on the body. And I still like, yes, I study that in a very like subjective way, not talking about, you know, whether or not my um, levels of a certain hormone went up or whether, yeah. you know, um, those types of things. Yeah, because that's that's really interesting. Because you know, uh, I have I've read some papers on this of music and how that you know affects certain part of your body. You know, you know, there's this called ASMR music that people really like and hear, and you know, mm -hmm. some say they like to hear white noise while doing while they're meditating. Some some you know, there are different meditation kind of music or meditation vocals that people have. You know that. They would they would like to like hear, so there's some also something like a concentration music that's like really prevalent in 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 right now. You know, if you just search concentration music on YouTube, like concentration music for studying, you can get like a list of different you know piano tunes, a list of different tunes that you hear. And and I have personally you know just gone through a bit of them, and I feel that you know they really they 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 help you in some way. You know, they they just don't let you go. They, they don't let you lose your focus, you know. But what really happens in that is that, and what I've, that's what I've just felt is that, you know, a part of your brain just switches off, I guess, mm -hmm. because it's focused on that particular noise or that particular mm -hmm. sound or that particular thing. Mm -hmm. So if we focus on that sound and our work at the same time, we kind of are amusing almost everything that we have, all of our brain. Yeah. And that would really help, you know, and that's, that's true. Yeah. Music has really been a great impact yeah. for a lot of people. So that's, that's great. I also want to talk to you a bit about some problems. Uh, and we were talking about this before also, right? Some problems that you feel music history has had 
and, and, and in terms of the academic work that's being done there, what, what kind of problems do you think that has been there in music history specifically? Oh, of course, yeah. Um, so something that actually the faculty at Stony Brook are doing a great job working on um, has been kind of the, there's been an old tradition in music history um, where the curriculum has tended to focus um, a lot of times on Western classical music history and on um, Western classical or European ways of understanding and interpreting music. And so all the faculty and students this year have been working on like a comprehensive effort to kind of reform that curriculum so that it's um, inclusive of many more traditions and also like meeting other student needs that maybe um, go beyond just um, that type of inclusivity. Um, so thinking about how to schedule classes in a way that's like much more accessible to students or to like imagine the like the path to the music major in a way that students can do um, even like in a variety of situations. So I think that, that yeah, that's one of the things that um, maybe I suppose it almost like it's almost that it was a problem because now we're working on it, but um, yeah, it's um, it's something yeah. that the music industry, music history, mm -hmm. pedagogy, like around the world, kind of has to, or at least in the U.S., has to deal right. with. Mm -hmm. Of like, how do we continue to make our curriculum more accessible and more inclusive? You you mentioned a point about where people from different places might get into music history. Could you tell me a bit about that, like? What kind of problems you you felt like in in terms of academic work was there that you know that was not focused where people could not get into it? I think that it's more um, it's not that people have a hard time getting into it. More so mm -hmm. that the resources are very limited to okay. like Western European perspectives. Okay. Um, to the point where like people are welcome, of course. Um, but like people who are interested in studying things yes. outside of Western classical music history have a bit of a harder time getting through the curriculum than do people who are interested in Western classical music history. And, and, and why is this that the case? Just because there's not enough information? Um, I think that it's a combination of things, but it goes back to actually the founding of musicology as a discipline in the United okay. States. Um, okay. And there's a wonderful article that a scholar named Tamara Levitz has written um, okay. to this effect about this history, that basically the establishment of larger institutions of musicology in the United States, such as the American Musicological Society, happened in the context of um, like a certain elitism and it was like a Euro supremacist elitism where um, Western classical musics and people who studied and wrote and performed those musics were considered more elite or knowledgeable or scholarly or more likely or were just simply more likely to be hired for positions where they would be teaching. And then of course it was a cycle because um, once 
people were hired for those positions, people with more experience in that, um, in teaching, in um, as professors, in giving papers at conferences, those were the people who were hired again. And so it became um, like a cyclical thing where this was the knowledge that the people who were in teaching positions had. Um, And I think it's multi-generational too. Okay, right. Yeah, that's that's that makes sense. Right? That's true. I also wanted to talk to you a bit about the pandemic. You know, the pandemic has really been hard on ev- almost every industry that you can think of, right? So, how has the pandemic affected the music industry? Um, in the music industry, I would say first of all, for performers, it's been incredibly hard. Anyone who yeah. wants to give a live concert, just um all of those opportunities have been put to the side. And I've heard that it's a, it's a financial um, problem as well as an emotional one. I know a lot of people are saying, you know, I miss just being on stage and performing and having that connection with an audience who's in the same room. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know plenty of people who have like been able to, get together an income still through teaching and other um, means, but it's definitely harder when that other source of income from gigs is mm-hmm. less, is more difficult to come by. Well, that's the one piece of advice that you got from someone. Um, I would say I've gotten a lot of great advice from my older colleagues and especially mm-hmm. The advice that um, in a PhD, it's okay if things take time to materialize. Like I'm starting to do research and define what my specific topic of research would be beyond just a more general understanding of like music and the body, which is too broad for any dissertation. Um, That's that's something that's true because I have certainly gone through this, you know, that you work on something for some for a quite a lot of time and you feel that I have nothing to show for it. And, you know, people ask for, you know, in the, when you go out, they ask for publications, they ask for some kind of a communication you have had in a journal or you've presented your work somewhere. You don't have that kind of stuff. And just because the research you're working on has not been materialized doesn't mean it's nothing. You know? It mm-hmm. has value and it has, it has yeah. a lot of meat in it. It's just that you haven't been able to like write it down in some form. Uh, also, just some sort of last things. Um, what kind of an advice do you feel would you would be giving to someone you know who just started out, who's just starting out in this music industry? You know, he doesn't even he or she doesn't have even a bachelor's. He just he's just interested in music and how does it affect you, the body, the history, and stuff like that. What would be your advice that you want to give? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would say to that person that um, it may be economically not the most easy industry to get into right away, especially um, if you're pursuing a PhD, it takes a while before you can be in a position of earning a lot of money, feeling like perfectly financially secure. Basically taking the time to um, pursue that passion and that interest can be worthwhile. um, even so, it's it's not. I would say it's not an easy path, but it's a path that has made me feel a lot more worthwhile. Like my time is a lot more worthwhile 
then it has than it was um, in my, I took a gap year in my, between undergrad and graduate school okay. where I was working um, just at any uh, industry job, it didn't matter. So my yeah. time felt a lot less worthwhile than, than it does now. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's yeah. so your passion was really into studying music and understanding it. So that one year taught yeah. you that, you know, exactly. Yeah. Makes sense. What kind of a career do you focus on or do you think of you, you, focus, uh, you will be working on after you finish your PhD? Well, I'd love to do, I'd love to continue to teach and to do research, um, likely at a university level, that's where I would apply. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also um, am interested in teaching at all levels. um, And I'm interested in jobs that are adjacent to music history research, um, other jobs that include research. That's 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 great. Uh, yeah, uh, tell me where where can we find you if you want to. You know how can we connect with you? You know, I, I do have a have a couple of YouTube accounts. You can oh, subscribe great. to those. Great, thank you. That's that's would be great. I'll just um, put the link down uh, for okay. for everyone to just have a look. What do you what do you make a YouTube videos about? What what do you work on? Do you um, sing? I've on? posted some of my singing on YouTube in the past. Great. Great, great. Um, yeah. After this video, I'll just go and have a look at them too. I, I know that you sing well. I really know that because I've heard you there. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, I haven't heard the recordings, so I'll just have a look at that. Thank you very much, Christine. Thank you very much, You're Christine, welcome. for doing this.